Thank you for listening to audio content from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. For more information or resources, visit us online at southcities.church. So Lord, uh, Alan's, Alan's prayer just a few minutes ago was so true. Lord, we, you know, we're weary of, the, of this stuff. <laughs> we're, weary of, we're weary of brain tumors right now in this church. Uh, we want to see that be undone finally and fully and forever. Weary of all sorts of sin and suffering and brokenness. And uh, yet, Lord, the good news of Genesis, the good news of the whole storyline of the Bible is that you are the God who keeps your promises. And you keep them in Jesus. All your promises find their yes in him. And therefore, Uh, Even in these sorrows, we can rejoice. And even in uh, these uh, griefs that we have, Lord, we we grieve with hope because Jesus wins. Jesus has paid for our sins. He's rose again to conquer death. And always you are pursuing your people to be in your presence now and forever. And so, Lord, pursue us now. Comfort us, convict us, encourage us, exhort us where we need it. Lord, go after every heart in this room that the most important things in the world would be the most important things to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a, this is a sad chapter. <laughs> it's, a, it's a sad chapter to study. Um, and yet, like all these sad stories in Genesis, there's these beams of hope that I think we'll see come through. But one of the sad patterns that we're going to see over and over in Genesis, and we have seen over and over in Genesis, is God revealing by his word something very clearly, and then human beings trying to control things another way. So God reveals himself, his word, his ways, very clearly. He says, this is what's good. And then human beings say, well, maybe. We're going to do it our own way. That's the story of Genesis 3, and that's the story that stretches into every chapter after that and every age of the world up until now. And it's a story we see now in our world, right? A a world, like Alan said, that barely acknowledges its creator anymore. A world that if it does acknowledge him, says his, his word doesn't really matter for human flourishing Or maybe a world that says that God's word can be followed kind of however our inner self tells us to follow it, if if our inner self tells us to. And we can just see when we look around, there's no denying it, that it's just led to to chaos and confusion and sin and wars and everything else all over the world. But it's not just out there, right? It's easy to look out there and point the finger out there. It's It's in here, right? The story today in Genesis 27 is about those who certainly would have acknowledged God, had had been with God, but they just thought they could twist his word a little or maybe kind of compartmentalize when they really listen to his word. Like, when does God's word really matter to us? We can probably kind of pick and choose, Or maybe just not quite stick to the unpopular or hard parts of what God said. Well, why why do they do that? Why Why do we do that? Well, it's because they think and we think 
that something God's word has revealed to them is stealing some kind of pleasure or comfort or desire from them. In other words, God's word is not totally good and totally right and perfect for human flourishing as the creator of all things. God's word is, is stealing in a, a killjoy, keeping us from experiencing all that we want to. Or maybe we think that God's word is a little bit flexible, right? And maybe we can carve out our own protection a little bit better than God can really protect us. Or we think that we can disregard the parts that are hard or unpopular and not in line with our next move in life or our preferences. We try to control it rather than rest in God's word. Uh, But what we find is that while that might seem okay for a while, and often in these stories it goes okay for a while, the ignoring and disregarding and compartmentalizing of God's word to take control ourselves, it always ends in sadness. It always ends in sadness. So this is a, a, a warning, a mirror for us to say, would you trust me? Would you just trust my word? This is an invitation to not repeat these same patterns. But let's look at the story and see a little bit more detail together. So point number one is betrayal of God and others. And we have a bunch of betrayals in this chapter. So first, in verses one to four, we see Isaac betraying God. What do I mean by that? Well, we know all the way back from chapter 25 that Isaac is a bit driven by his belly and he loves Esau for it. So it's not surprising in one sense when he calls Esau to him and tells him, hey, go hunt game, cook it up, bring it to me, and then I'll bless you with all my soul. His favorite son, his favorite food, and blessing this favorite son while eating his favorite food, right? That almost seems normal and natural. And like, of course, that's what you would do. Well, except what God said to him and Rebekah back in chapter 25, verses 23. Here's what God said. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. In other words, God has said, here's my choice. Here's my decision. Here's my will, right? Not, not necessarily fun, <laughs> kind of a hard word, but God by his sovereign freedom has chosen who will receive the blessing, who will be the one where this line of promise will go. But a combination of Isaac's belly, we just read, his God is his, all right, our God is our belly, glory and their shame. A combination of his, his belly, his desires right here in the moment, his love for Esau gives him selective memory. He's happy here to see if he can just kind of get around this little part of God's word. I mean, it was a while ago anyways, right? Maybe, maybe God's forgotten. Maybe it wasn't that important. But God has very clearly to them revealed his will by his word. And Isaac is choosing to try to make his own way, doubting God's goodness and seeking his own pleasure in all sorts of ways. And I don't think that Isaac's alone here. Have you ever felt this way? I've, I've felt this way. You have some desire that goes against God's word and you want it so bad that in that moment you start to take things into your own hands. 
Disregarding God's word or doing it your own way doesn't seem all that serious in the moment, right? It's just one decision. It's just one thing. It's just one little avenue that you're disobeying. In other words, our restless souls think I can find rest outside of God's word and outside of God's ways, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work for Isaac and it doesn't work for us. And Esau is more than willing to play along. You'll remember he actually already gave up this right because his belly was his God to his brother back in chapter 25. But he is very, very, very happy to dive in and try to steal this blessing back. No one here cares about God's word or ways. They just care about getting what seems best to them in the moment and beyond, and they'll just do whatever it takes to make it happen. And so Esau comes in, knowing this doesn't belong to him anymore. He hears his dad, and he goes, I will get to hunting. (laughs) I will get to hunting. And he leaves to sneak back into his blessing despite God's word and despite already giving it away. And you might feel bad. You might feel bad for Rebecca and Jacob in this story up to this point, except they're just so awful too. I mean, everyone in this story is just awful at this point. In verses 5 to 10, Rebecca and Jacob are pulling a double cross on Isaac and Esau. This, This story reminds me of the story when Sarah and Abraham try to bring about God's plan on their own terms by enlisting Hagar to bear the promised child. That was a mess, and this is like that. Rebecca overhears well, one thing to learn from Genesis is nothing is hidden in tents, right? People are always overhearing other people and always getting out in. And so she, she overhears, and what does she do? She knows her old, blind husband's favorite meal. She knows just how to make it. She convinces Jacob to go along with it. And she only has to convince him, not because he has some moral objection or trust God's promises. He's not like, Mom, God promised this. It's going to be okay. Trust in God. He's just like, Mom, what if I get caught? Right? What, what if I get caught? Then I'll get a curse instead of a blessing. Verses 11 to 12. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man. <laughs> And I'm a smooth man, right? She's like, there's logistical issues here, mom. I'm going to get caught. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. So no, no regard for God's word here. No regard for God's promises. Just a a fear that I'm not as hairy as my brother and I'm going to get caught. When verses 14 to 17, after his mom disregarding God's word, says, I'll take the curse. It's a bigger statement than she knows she's making. In verses 14 to 17, Jacob eventually goes. He gets the two young goats to indulge his father's belly, and Rebekah clothes him in all of Esau's clothes and even puts hairy animal skins on his hands and all over his neck. When you read the Bible, do you think about what's going on? This is ridiculous. Can you imagine how ridiculous he felt? Right? He's bringing this, this meal in with like pasted on animal skins all over him, hoping he's not going to get caught. This is ridiculous. Wearing his brother's clothes, 
sticking hair all over his body because you know, why are you doing that? Because you know you'll have to seal the betrayal with an affectionate embrace of your dad who you're lying to. That's ugly stuff. It's risky, ugly, broken stuff going on. Rebecca here is taking advantage of her husband's age and poor sight to get what she wants. Sin destroys relationships. Doubting the goodness and faithfulness of God's word and wanting our own desires has always been the issue in Genesis and is still the issue for us. And think about this. The lengths that we will go to to get what we want, convincing ourselves this is okay in the moment, all the while working as hard as we can to cover our tracks. It's just two realities living in us at the same time. This is okay. I just don't want anyone ever, ever, ever to find out about it. But it's totally okay, right? Like that's the craziness of sin. And it's what it does to us when we start to walk away from God's word. And then in verses 18 to 26, we get this very sad encounter with Isaac and Jacob, and we get a sad look at an old man desperate to fill his belly and to bless his oldest son against God's will, and a sad look at a deceptive son willing to betray his father and blaspheme God in order to get what he wants. He enters, and apparently the one part of the plan they didn't consider is how quick you can actually hunt something, kill something, cook something, and bring it, because right away, Isaac is surprised. He says, how did you get back so fast? How does Jacob answer? Look at verse 20. Because... The Lord your God granted me success. Just using God. (laughs) Just blatantly using God for whatever his purposes are. Jacob is willing to use the creator of the universe and his kind provision as a lie. It's really sad. And perhaps now Isaac is beginning to feel justified, right, in his sinful plan. This is how sin works when it interacts with each other and encourage and it rolls over on itself. Right, if God is granting him success... Maybe it's okay then. If God isn't disciplining but letting it go on, he must approve of it, or at least it's not that big of a deal. Maybe you've played that game in your head or heart. Well, God's not really doing anything yet. Maybe I I can click one more time. Maybe I can kind of let that rumor out one more time about that person. Maybe I can nurse this bitterness for just another week. Well, the deceit doesn't end there. Isaac calls Jacob closer to put his hands on him because he thinks it sounds like Jacob. Right? So you imagine he can't see. All he can do is hear, and he's going, it sounds like Jacob, but it smells like Esau. (laughs) So I guess the final test is what does it feel like? Right? Who's going to break the tie? He asked him one more time, is it really you, Esau? And I think the text repeats to us over and over again Isaac's doubt about who this really is because it's trying to teach us that here he knows something's off. He knows something's wrong. And yet his sinful desires of filling his belly and fulfilling his blessing to Esau make him barge down ahead a foolish path. Right? So sin makes us foolish. 
Sin clouds our vision. Sin makes us act in ways even when we can sense and know something's wrong or off because we just want to get what we want to get. Sin makes us careless, reckless, lack wisdom. And Jacob just keeps right up with the game the whole time, happily taking advantage of other people to get what he wants, which is also a characteristic of sin. Right? It, it makes us dress up. It makes us play pretend until we don't really know who we are anymore. And certainly others don't know the real us. And then we just take, 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 thinking that we'll get what we want. This is an awful first half of the chapter with only deceit and disobedience, with only brokenness and betrayal. But God is not mocked. God is not fooled. And God will keep his promises and his word by his power Point number two, the blessing of God despite others. So look at verses 27 to 29 where we see the final betrayal and then this blessing. So Jacob came near and he kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and he blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Jacob seals his betrayal with a kiss. If you're thinking of another time like that, I think you're right to be thinking of another time like that. It's a painful exclamation point to the sadness of this family. And because of this sin, this family will never be the same again. Never be the same again. Isaac, with a full belly and happy with his wine, his wisdom blurred, his carelessness in full effect, will finally complete his end around of God to bless his favorite, or so he thinks. Except he won't. He won't. Here's the thing about sin. Despite all the work done in the shadows, all the manipulation, all the spiritual blindness by all involved in the web, God sees with crystal clarity. He sees it all. So if you think right now, if you think right now, this is a loving thing for me to say to you, if you think right now you're hiding from God in your sin, he sees with crystal clarity, always. And God keeps his promises by his power. Notice the blessing meant for Esau goes just like God said it would to Jacob. So God still does what he says he'll do. And notice what it is. This is going to be really familiar. It's a blessing of the land. What is that? That's the place, right? The place, be blessed in this place. It's a blessing over the nations, meaning blessing a people. This people is going to be a, a blessing over the nations. We have the place and the people, and it's a blessing of God's presence to protect them by blessing those who bless and cursing those who curse, just like God promised to Abraham. Jacob receives a blessing of God's people and God's place to enjoy God's presence. God is still working in the mess to do what he's been doing all along. 
God will not be mocked. God will complete his purposes for the good of those who are mocking him. This is for their good, ultimately for our good, even though in the moment it probably just feels awful to them. And this is the kind of scene you'd see in like a really bad soap opera, right? But it's real life, right? As in any movie or bad soap opera, right after Jacob sneaks away to celebrate with his deceitful mother, Esau walks in the room. It's one of those scenes in the movie where you're like, get out of the room. They're coming, right? And right after, he comes walking in. And in this moment, you realize Jacob thinks he's gotten away with it. Isaac thinks he's gotten away with it. Rebecca thinks she's gotten away with it. And Esau thinks he's about to get away with it. The family is completely broken Sin will have its consequences and we get to see the first of them here. Esau walks in and finds out his blessing has been given to another. Notice Isaac's reaction in verse 33. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I've blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. So first, two reactions here. First, trembling as he realized what has happened. So the question is, why did he tremble? Now, some people say he trembled because he's sad. He trembled because he, he, the wrong guy got the blessing. He didn't want Jacob to get the blessing. But every other place in the Old Testament where you see this word for trembling, you know who it's before? before God. It's before God. I think he's trembling before the Lord knowing I'm caught. It didn't work. God sees me and more terrifying than the wrong blessing going to his sons is him knowing I'm caught. This is what happens when we're caught, isn't it? When we're exposed A kind of awful feeling fills up our whole bodies and causes us to tremble. But then notice what I think is a a twinkle of trust in the trembling. (laughs) He says, yes, and he shall be blessed. No going back, right? No fighting it. A kind of submission to it. Acceptance of it. God will work his promises by his power and it's good to obey him and draw near to him and submit to him and bow to him again even after we've just run from him. That's the the good news of the gospel, the good news of the God who keeps his promises, who makes covenant with his people. If you've just run from him and blasphemed him and tried to trick him and you're caught, what's the response? Just bow to him again. Right? Don't try to cover it up. Don't try to hide, just just bow to him again. Esau walks in and finds out in this moment that his birthright and his blessing now belong to Jacob. Esau is angry, exasperated, desperate, and begs for a blessing from his father's hand. And Isaac basically gives him a reverse blessing in verses 39 to 40, which basically promises Esau, you're going to have a restless wandering life without prosperity or peace. And now we don't know for sure, right? We know he lost his birthright. We know he wasn't going to get the blessing, but we've seen in other cases 
where the one not in the promised land is still cared for by God. So we don't know for sure. Would this have happened with all the deceit, without all the games? We don't know, but it's certainly a result of them in this moment, right? In his sinfulness, in his deceit, in his father's sinfulness and deceit, he can't get over and he begs, say something, dad. And his dad says the only thing he has left to say, I got nothing left to give you. And he prays this reverse blessing over him. Isaac trembles. Esau threatens. Jacob is forced to run and the family is no longer together. Sin has divided the family and they're completely scattered in a moment of days when everyone thought they were going to get their way. (laughs) So what sin does and God still keeps his promises. So just notice two final things with me. I want us to see two things in this passage. First, how God turns evil for good and how this story invites us to rest in the God who does keep his promises rather than try to fight for control ourselves. So how does he turn it for evil and how is this an invitation to rest? So first, notice the real sinfulness of Isaac, Rebekah, and Jacob and Esau in this story. It's crazy. It's crazy. The sin is crazy and this is real life. Jacob seals his betrayal with a kiss. He says, God surprised? Is God taken aback? Do we see God in the story have to all of a sudden readjust all his purposes and all his plans? No. God sadly, I think, watches the sin, watches them distance themselves from himself and from each other, watches them divide, and is still ready to discontinue his plan of redemption. It's got to keep going. The plan's going to keep happening. And notice, this is so encouraging to me, it's not just a big redemption story in broad terms, like God will keep his line of promise going no matter what. That's happening. (laughs) That's why we're here today, because it kept happening all the way till Jesus. But it's also, it's also that he'll keep doing it in these people. He keeps his line of promise going so people can enjoy God's presence in God's place, but he's also working redemption in individuals. He doesn't give up on Jacob. Like Jacob, in these first few chapters we know about him, and even going forward for a little while, is a, you're like you would not want to be friends with Jacob. Right? You'd, you'd never trust him with your stuff. You wouldn't want him in your house. You wouldn't know what he was trying to pull off all the time, but God doesn't give up on him. He's going to pursue him with goodness and mercy. And he eventually is going to bring him to himself, break him of his sin, and bring him to himself. Here we get to see the beginning of glad obedience in Isaac at the end of the story. So he's always working. God's always working despite us. And he's always working in us. That's the good news, is that we can't thwart his promises, but our breaking of our, of our allegiance to him does not make him stop breaking his allegiance to us. What other stories do we know like this? What about at the end of Genesis, right? Joseph's brothers get jealous. They throw him in a hole. They sell him to a foreign land, right? What is God doing? (laughs) Is God surprised by this? Well, here's Joseph's commentary on it to his brothers who are terrified that he's finally going to get back at them. Here's what he says in Genesis 50, verse 20, this really famous verse. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good, meant it for the salvation of his people. And in having Joseph there, 
In Egypt, in this place of power, when a famine is happening everywhere else, God keeps Jacob's family alive and keeps his promises to him that God's people would be protected and preserved so eventually they could be what? Back in God's place to enjoy God's presence. And the book ends with Joseph proclaiming boldly that one day soon they will leave Egypt and go back to the promised land. Or what about the betrayal by a kiss of Judas on our dear Savior? We're nearing Lent, where we remember the temptation and suffering of Jesus on our behalf. Here Jesus is betrayed by a friend. He suffered, was beaten, mocked, and eventually suffered a horrifying criminal's death on a cross. And not only Judas, but but Peter, right? Peter, Mr. I'll fight anyone, do anything for you, right? He's ready. He wants to fight. He denies Jesus three times. Betrayal, right? That's what we see in this story. Well, what was all that betrayal about? Listen to Acts chapter 2, verses 23 to 24. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. In other words, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. In other words, human beings will keep sinning and fighting and trying to take control and their suffering and their sin and trying to get what they want. And God's just going to keep redeeming. He's just going to keep working. He's going to keep coming after his people. God turns it for good, for our good. Right? All this story, all this mess is leading towards Jesus, who's for our good. Because of him, we're saved from our sins. We'll rise again to be with him someday, just like it was not possible for him to be held by death. It's not possible for us to be held by death in him. And who, who preached that sermon? Why did I choose Acts 2? Peter. The one who just a little while before that had betrayed him. Now, preaching the gospel and starting the church. He used Peter to preach the gospel. He's always working despite us, like God's people can be with him, and he's always working in us. God cannot be stopped. Evil cannot win. Sin will not win. So if you look at the world around you, and you look at the disobedience, and you look at the disregard for God, and it makes you worried. Don't. (laughs) Don't be worried. God wins because God always sees and God always keeps his promises to redeem and bring us into his presence. If you think your sin has gone too far, maybe God has given up on you and you've ruined too much, just humble yourself before him right now. It's not too late. Walk towards him. Gladly submit and obey today. Confess your sins, knowing God is working in you to sanctify you and keep you until you're with him. We can't mess up God's plans. Praise God that we can't mess up his plans. I'd be a really sorry God if we could mess up his plans. Submit to him and walk towards him today. And this is a sad story, but it's a story that speaks to our hearts about God invites us to rest in his goodness and simply trust him even when it's hard to and even when it seems like it'd be better to do do it our own way. There are so many things in your life, in my life, that when we're in them, it's just 
hard to want to just rest in Jesus, isn't it? We just don't, we don't like the way he's doing it. <laughs> we wish he would do it a different way, a better way, according to us. And this is, a, this is a reminder to us, would you just trust me? Would you just rest in me? Just listen to what I said and just, just trust me. That's the story. A big promise of God's sovereign power to do what he says. A big warning to us to try not to run after control of our lives and desires, but simply trust him. So what do we do with that? We receive his providences. Receive them. Say, you're good. You're for me. I can trust you in this. You haven't left me. You're with me. We receive his purposes. You're good. You're for me. You haven't left me. We receive his word. We fight to trust him. Now, this doesn't mean, doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean you don't cry out. That's why the psalmist says, pour out your heart before him. It doesn't mean there's no struggle. It doesn't mean it's without tears. It just means that when you think you have to do it your way or you think you can't trust him, it's a better, sweeter thing to simply listen to his word, draw near to him and know he's working redemption and rest for you. So most of the time, if you're thinking you need to take things in your own hands or do something or run away, the best thing to do is just stop doing anything and just rest. Remember who he is. Let him be God. Let him keep you. Be still. Know that he's God. Let his story of redemption play out and know that he's paid for your sins, which means he's for you. His way is best. And then fight sin. Confess it when you do sin. Trust him in suffering. Don't doubt his word or goodness. Follow his word and rest in his certain goodness for you in Christ. Rest and find true joy that's not circumstantial rather than fight for control and some kind of joy that's just going to end in sadness. So I mentioned uh, Terry and Eileen uh, at the beginning of the sermon and I was, God always does these things, preparing the sermon and going, okay, it's, it's about trying to take control here, trying to rest in God's goodness. And I got uh, this email uh, from Pastor David from his visit with them yesterday. And uh, yes, tears, sadness, hard things. Uh, but this is the quote, right, from Eileen. I'm going to let Eileen teach us about what it means to rest in God's goodness. This is the quote from her, I think just yesterday, about why she can rest right now. She said, when you are not wrestling for some kind of control in the situation, but know and trust the one who has all the control, it makes all the difference in the world. Should we do it one more time? So good, right? It should be in a commentary somewhere on this chapter. When you're not wrestling for some kind of control in this situation, but know and trust the one who has all the control, it makes all the difference in the world. Let me pray. So Lord, you're, you're inviting us right now through your word. <laughs> Reminding us as we see you keep your promises despite sin and brokenness and suffering. You're inviting us to trust the one, yourself, who has all the control. You're inviting us to remember you've paid for our sins. You, you're for us and not against us. That you're working in the mess. That you're working in the sin. That you're working in the suffering. That you're, you're going to finish the good work you started. You're going to be the strength in our weakness. You're, you're going to be with us to the end of the age. 
So Lord, I don't know in this room where there's a temptation to leave what your word has said and run after other things. I don't know where there's temptation to do it our own way. I don't know where there's people who are getting close to that because of some sin they've been hiding for a long time. I don't know where there's some people close to that because they're just so worn down by suffering. But God, in this moment, as we come to eat and drink with you, Lord, would you just help us lay all that at your feet? Would you help us trust you again? Or would you help us not play games with our lives as if we can just be casual about what your word says, as if we can just be uh, flexible, we can just do one more thing against your word and it won't matter. Lord, help us, help us not deceive ourselves. Sin makes us crazy, makes us deceive ourselves. Lord, in this moment, just give us sight. Help us see what's true, what's real, what's most important, and help us come back again to the God who keeps his promises. All of them finding their yes in Jesus. So that as we come to eat and drink, help us lay down our, our fears and our doubts and our frustrations and our bitterness and our sins and our excuses. Lord, help, them, help us lay them all down at the foot of the cross when you tell us what good news it is that you tell us, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Lord, would this be another one of those moments for us as a people? We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.